This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 to 44. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is God's word. We've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and specifically at the responses of real people to Jesus putting ourselves in their shoes or sandals this time as it were and considering how we might respond to this increasing revelation of his identity. And this morning marks a different kind of response. It's not hostile like the religious leaders, but neither is it full of faith like the formerly blind Bartimaeus. It's a so close, so close, but not quite response to making room for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
We've got three major passages here, okay? Each of which could be its own sermon, but they're, but they're linked together. They're linked together by two strands, and I hope we see the big picture here. First, a, a worthy life ambition, love, and also a person, and then group of people, the scribe and the scribes. So you'll notice a scribe in the first verse of each of this, these sections, verse 28, verse 35, verse 38. Link these passages together. And I hope as we see as we go along that love links these sections together. That we see what Jesus is doing here. Big picture. So let's endeavor as best we can with God's help to put ourselves in the shoes of this scribe and consider how Jesus wants us to respond. What He says about us and about love. So first we'll see, love is close but not quite. Then, secondly, we're going to see that Jesus gives us this glimpse of loving intentions, but with no power. Then, thirdly, we get an opportunity to embrace a power to reverse self-love and neighbor usage, using our neighbor. All right, so first, love close, but not quite. This man who approaches Jesus is a scribe. Or in Luke's version, he just comes out and calls him a lawyer. His role among the Jewish leaders was to pour over God's commands revealed through His law. These were shown in the beginning of the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He was to pour over God's law here and help the leadership council called the Sanhedrin interpret the old law all right, and making modern decisions in their lives. All right, so they're taking this ancient sort of document. How do we live this out today in our religion? That was kind of his role, his job. Finally, we get a Jewish leader who's not trying to trap Jesus. He has a serious, sincere question about all these laws, all these commands. And it is this, which command, teacher, is the most important of all? to which Jesus quotes what's known, if you are a Jewish person, as the Shema, which means to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This is what Jesus starts to quote back to this man. This man would have been very familiar with this prayer, the Shema. Every morning he would have woken up praying it. Every evening he would have gone to bed praying it. It would have kicked off every religious festival he was a part of. He would have used it at the beginning of a meal with friends to say a blessing over the meal. But this Shema, this prayer, from God's Word in Deuteronomy chapter 6, originally quoted there, it goes on to say, these commands that I give to you today, this is Moses speaking to the people, these commands that I give to you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them upon your children. Talk about all these commands when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them on your foreheads just to kind of look at during the day. Write them on door frames of your houses and gates. In other words, do your interior decorating with these commands. Write them on note cards. Put them on your mirror to memorize, on your dashboard. to Look at everywhere. Get them in your head and in your mind. Now that sounds great. The problem is, after the Shema, this law goes on for 28 chapters. 
That's just in the book of Deuteronomy. 28 chapters. I went back this week just to look at what that would be. Spoken normally in English audio. One hour and 31 minutes with normal pauses. Hour and 31 minutes of getting divine advice, which is also, by the way, binding to live out in your life. Think what that was like for the scribe. I've given my life to study this. Even still, it is so long with so many commands, with so much detail. Where do I begin? What should I focus on first? What should I write down? What should I put up in my house? What should I impress upon my children? What should I talk about with other people first? See, the scribe, he actually wants to do the commands of God. He actually wants to help others fulfill the law. You see how he might get overwhelmed with where to start. Years ago, I was, uh, this was years ago in a different church, I was invested in this community group in my local church, and a new Christian had joined our, our Bible study community group. We have these years as well. And this story might sound very familiar to something you've experienced in your community group. Because this new Christian came and he said to the whole group, look guys, I, I just became a Christian. I decided to give my life to Christ. And we're like, yeah, hallelujah, awesome, sweet, yeah. Lots of that kind of stuff, right? And he says, yeah, you know, I, I just need to know something. I want your guys' advice. Since I'm new to this, where should I begin? What should I really start to focus on as I begin my life? as a Christian and do this church thing. And so one person spoke up, well, one thing I do is I wake up early to pray. And I found what was helpful at the beginning of my life with God is using this acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, adore God, confess sin, thank Him for all the good things He's done in your life, and then give Him specific prayer requests, supplication you want answered. So he starts to write this down and he keeps writing furiously as the next person speaks up and says, well, no, you know what I do is I keep a journal, and as I read the Bible, I just take little notes on what God seems to be saying to me and questions I have to look up later and ask people who are older than wiser than me. Oh, yeah, good idea. So he's, he's writing this down furiously. And then someone else speaks up. You know, what, for me, it's really important to be intentional about community. Something like this, a community group, keep going to it, be part of it. You need the encouragement of other people that God's put in your life. Okay, okay. And another person, purchase some worship music. You know, purchase some worship music so you can praise God on your own. You know, in the car, just privately. Another person spoke up. One of the deacons in the church. You know, actually, we know we're doing an outreach to New Orleans in the coming weeks. You want to come along. We're doing this missions trip. We do an outreach locally, but why don't you come along with us to New Orleans? Then someone else spoke up. Oh, You've got to get to know your spiritual gifts. See, when you become a Christian, God gives you gifts. He gives you these things you can serve the church with and get to know them, even the kind of strange ones, because those can powerfully help others as well. I can sit down with you, but someone else said, I can work on your, work on your testimony with you, your story, how you came to know God, because you can share that with other people and they can become Christians. By this point... He had stopped writing. All right, I kind of picked up on it. So I just, I just asked him because no one else seemed to notice. Hey, Philip, you know, you were listening really well, but I noticed you, you, stopped, you, know, you stopped writing it down. He said, well, honestly, my pen ran out of ink. <laughs> and then we realized that after 20 minutes of suggestions on what to focus on first, the poor bloke, he ran out of ink. So that felt like a long time to you. Imagine how it felt for him. 
It's so good then that Jesus describes the essence of the Christian life for us. A place from which to start. A standard by which we might evaluate ourselves and how our lives are going. Bearings by which we might not only live, but find our way back on the path of following Him. So as you begin to acknowledge this one God and aim to love Him with all of who you are, heart, soul, mind, understanding, strength, keep loving Him throughout each moment of the day so that when you encounter your neighbor made in His image, you're ready to pass on that kind of selfless love. Right? So love your neighbor as yourself. That's the idea here. This is all right and good. And I ref- think about Jesus' teaching here. Think about how it's even had an impact on our little local church. Consider that for a moment. I mean, our effort to just adopt and serve Georgetown Primary, you've heard maybe about that a little bit. Maybe you don't know the history about it. It began when at a certain point we were, we were loving God, we were worshiping God, we were encouraging one another, but we asked the question, how can we best pass on that love to neighbors in our community? We went to the community leaders and we listened to them. What do you think? How can we best show that kind of love? As a local church leadership, about three and a half years ago, the elders asked the question, you know, we, oh geez, people have faithfully given their tithes and offerings out of an obedient response of worship to Him. How might we likewise, as, as a leadership, give 10% of what's been sort of entrusted to us outward, to missions, to outreaches, for relief, for clean water, for some of the things Tara was talking about this morning. And you can read all about that on our website, who we give to over this last year. And and, and ARC, ARC began, I know in a group of ladies, including Tara, who loves, she loves Jesus, as she walked along in her life, she started to see some of these squalid conditions that people were living in, like she described. She, she saw hurting people, decided to love her neighbor. And we wanted to partner in different ways with that. So, you see that. And I know some of you guys, you do this in your life. You want to love your neighbor. You want to pass on the love of God to others. So he, who here, let me just take a quick poll. Who here thinks, and you can say no to this, you don't have to raise your hand, but who here thinks loving God with all of yourself is a great solution to an unfocused life. Loving God with all yourself is a great solution to an unfocused life. Raise your hand if you think that's a good idea. All right, raise your hand. Okay, not all of you. Some of you, okay. I appreciate your honesty. And who thinks that the most concrete way to love God practically in our life is to love your neighbor? Raise your hand. If you think that's the most concrete way you, 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 you can love God. All right, most of us. One last question. Here's the recap. So, who here thinks if you, kind of, if you stick to this, you love God, expressed primarily through love of neighbor, your life will be well lived, and God will be pleased to welcome you into his kingdom? Raise your hand. Love God, love neighbor. He'll be pleased to welcome you one day. All right, then. If that's the case, we'll be done. Except... That's not what he says. <laughs> you thought you were off the hook. He says instead, you are not far from the kingdom 
of God. You see, being pro-God and charitable towards your neighbor is so close, but it's not quite when it comes to being part, a citizen in God's forever kingdom. You hear that? I need some of you guys to hear that. I hear this all the time in Cayman. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door all right, without a solution. He, he gives it to us actually in the next section here in verses 35 through 37, but if it's all the same to you, so he gives us a solution coming up next, but if it's the same to you, I'd like for us to first look at verses 38 through 44 in that section, all right? So look there with me, because in this last section, Jesus makes a couple observations of what will happen to the scribes and to us who set out on their own to sincerely try and love God, to sincerely on our own strength try to love neighbor. All right? So, so part two of the message this morning, what, what starts to happen is when you have loving intentions without power. Look with me there, starting in verse 38. And we'll come back to verse 35. In Jesus' teaching, He said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Then He walks along and we get this great moment opposite the treasury of the temple. He watches the people put money in the offering box. Rich people put in big sums. A poor widow comes, drops a couple small copper coins, which make about a penny. He called his disciples to him and said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow is put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they gave out of their abundance, she gave out of her poverty, everything she had to live on. Most scribes, all right, you care about God's law, you want to do it, you're serious about it. Most scribes, also began with loving intentions. Uh, They were of the Pharisaical party, the Pharisees who aimed to teach people the old law in a way that was relevant to their modern life. So they created little extra tips, little extra commands, so you could live out God's law in a way that was pleasing to Him. They aimed to be helpers. They aimed to help those who had real jobs and couldn't give themselves to study this all the time. All right, yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) So... Which brings us, though, to Jesus' jarring judgment, right, in verse 40. That they eventually, though, even though they're genuine about that love and helping other people follow God and please Him, they devour widows' houses. How does that happen? They began by teaching each person that they need to give back to God by paying a tithe to the temple. Every person, both rich and poor, okay, Widows were the poorest, the most vulnerable people. They only had what was left of their deceased husband's earnings, which was often nothing, usually nothing. Little strength to do more than secretarial work, which, by the way, was observed only for men in this this patriarchal society. So what did they have left? No prospects for employment. No money. Now, we know that the scribes helped set up opposite the temple treasury, in the temple, uh, 13 kinds of boxes or chests for different amounts of contributions to God. All right, So you had big contributions here, working your way down to smaller contributions at the end. 13, mind you. 
Can you imagine just stepping up to one of those? And over here, right? It was meant to help. And the scribe's version of love went something like this. On the one hand, we've set something up here so you can contribute too. You who don't have as much money. On the other hand, you must contribute. Even if it's all you have left to live on. Even if you lose your house to pay for it. You see? So look, look we, we've loved you. we set this up over here for you. But you, but you do have to give. Like that's part of God's law. So you can imagine the widow is vulnerable. She has, all she has left is God. And so she wants to obey what God's leaders say to her about him. So they say, oh my, wait a minute, this man, I, respect, I, 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 I don't have anything left. I have to completely rely on God. This man is telling me to do this. I must do this. They give everything they have left, thus devouring even their home. Scribes don't bother to understand what their so-called help actually does to her, leaving her homeless. So, one of the most inspiring stories of faith, the widow's might, faithful giving, is also among the most tragic, you see. And our visceral reaction to this is, man, how could people not see that? How could they not understand what they were doing to her? Doing to someone so vulnerable, so poor. I can never imagine you know, my love turning so selfish. Let me tell you a story. It comes from uh, the most thoughtful and engaging read, I think, on the subject. It's a great book called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. When Helping Hurts, Steve Corbett, Brian Fickert. You can borrow this if you like later, but they tell a story of a church in a downtown American city okay, made up of predominantly urban professionals who seek to love God by loving those they deem vulnerable. They're vulnerable neighbors. All right? it, it, for them, that, it, that they deem that to be an adjacent housing project near their church consisting primarily of African-American tenants. And they resolve to show compassion towards this project. They see the squalor. They see the living conditions. They resolve to show compassion. They ter- determine you know, Christmas would be a great time to just practically show people our love. All right? So they do so. They purchase Christmas gifts for the children of this housing project. They deliver them. I bring it around, she of music, sing some Christmas carols, then they deliver this gift. And it's awkward initially, but the church eventually is, is just encouraged by big smiles on the kids, a warm reception from the moms, all right? So they're encouraged about this. They decide to expand the project to include American Thanksgiving, to include Easter, and they expand the project further. They keep doing what they're doing, but they start to notice after a few years, volunteers aren't signing up anymore. They start to drop off the enthusiasm behind this initiative to love their neighbor dies away. Finally, someone in the church, a member of the church, speaks up and says, um, as they're trying to figure this out, have you ever noticed how their situation never improves? People in the housing project. It never gets better. We go and we have all these initiatives to love our neighbor that never improves. And they started saying, you know, and there's also, there's no men, just seems to be just women who seem to have more and more babies every time we return. 
is just kind of being honest and saying this. It's not, it's, I'm just not sure. Is, I'm just not sure it's worthwhile. You know, it's, it's working. In reality, there was a different reason volunteers never saw the fathers in these apartments. That each time the dads would hear the Christmas carols, they would look through the peepholes, and they'd slip out the back of their apartment because they were so ashamed that they couldn't provide for their own family. See? Of course, they only found this out years later. And I tell you this story to point out two ways in which we end up hurting those we aim to help and so hurt ourselves. Number one, helping with the strength of our own love, our own love deepens what these authors call our God complexes. All right? Helping with the strength of our own love deepens our God complexes. What do I mean by that? The lack of short-term response, the lack of seeing long-term change, doesn't seem to make any difference. All of a sudden, becomes a statement about us. As the capital H helpers, we should be sufficient. Our love should be powerful enough, but it isn't. It has to be either our fault or theirs. See, And so we vacillate, don't we? Have you ever been in this situation? My, my help isn't helping. I don't understand. So we vacillate between, well, I just wish sometimes they say thank you, you might say that to a close friend, but you're careful. And, you know, I guess what I'm doing is just not enough. Do what you can and guilt. Scribes took the best seats at the table, and they sat up front at the synagogue so they could be more readily to receive those thank yous in the short term and be acknowledged for long-term changes. And how much do we want that as well when we give? If we think our quality and quantity help will prove the difference, we will be desperate to hear the thank yous, desperate to see the long-term change because our identity rests on it. We have given of ourselves for that because we believe our love can change people. You see, we think we can be God. Isn't that what we're saying? Secondly, I tell you that story because our help also wrongly aims to alleviate only material poverty. And Tara and rightly spoke to that. We do need to practically help people in that way. And I love how she spoke about that. But we see how, how help towards families at Christmas actually furthered the spiritual and emotional poverty of the fathers. And they feel more ashamed, more guilty. The church kept right on going because it seemed to be working for them. Made them feel better. They never stopped to ask the question. They never stopped for for one person to get to know each person. Each church member getting to know one. And asking, how's this going? Doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. There was none of that going on. It was, let's do this. Let's get in there. We can take pictures, tell testimonies later. Left to ourselves. See, loving intentions, even expressed through action, will curve into using others to love ourselves. You see that? It will end up being about you. We all tend to do that. So we see the scribes, we think, no way I'm going to ever do that. No way I would end up hurting someone I'm trying to help. But you see, when you love on your own strength, it always happens. 
Mark tells us no one then dared ask him any more questions. After Jesus says, love God with all who you are, love your neighbor as yourself, you're not far from the kingdom of God. No one asked him any more questions. Why? Because there was no longer any need to. The right aim in life has been rightly assessed by Jesus. So now he's going to reveal the power to actually live it out. Notice, the scribe was right about the aim, but like the rich young man in chapter 10 of Mark, I don't know if you remember that, he only knew Jesus as teacher. Wise teacher. Someone who can help me on my own strength love others through telling them about the law. You see that? The problem is no longer knowledge. The problem is the power to live out what you know is right, but you can't do. So we get to verse 35 and 37. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ, that is, the one who will perfectly live out what we cannot, perfectly obey God, is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he merely his son, his great-great-great-great-grandson, and the throng heard him gladly. Okay, third point here. Jesus here gives us the power to reverse self-love through using our neighbor, neighbor usage. The Lord Jesus empowers us with a divine and selfless love to love selflessly, completely, outwardly, selflessly, otherly like him. And this is pretty amazing. How, how can we know this? Okay, so nearly every time Jesus quotes from His own inspired Word, back here usually the Old Testament, He says, as He did in chapter 12, like we saw last week, have you not read this? Or it is written. Or He doesn't say anything at all. He just starts quoting the Old Testament like that, alright? But there's something that's different here. Three times in these verses, Jesus reminds us that David is the author why does he do this? Why does he keep saying David? David. Why did David say? Psalm 110 here says literally, it says the Lord said to my Lord, literally, that is Yahweh said to Adonai. In other words, Yahweh clearly refers to God the Father. But see, every scribe would know that the word Lord, Adonai, could refer to your superior. Say your boss. Say your master if you were a servant. Or just someone older than you, that you respect it. You'd often say, oh, Lord, Adonai. Okay, interesting. You might say, Ryan, that's, that's interesting. Scribes and modern scholars, even, might interpret this to say, oh, Yahweh said to my human Lord, and then he keeps going. Someone in authority over someone else. Again, usually a servant or a master. But Jesus keeps reminding us about David Because as Israel's king, David is the only one in the whole country, the whole nation, who doesn't have a human lord, who doesn't have an authority. So when David says, the Lord said to my Lord, it can't be a human being. A king has no lord. A king is the highest authority. So who's he talking about? If Yahweh says to this other person high in power, David didn't have anyone else in power above him. You see what's happening here? This is amazing. David... It's giving us a glimpse into a reality far greater than God speaking to a human. 
It's God speaking to God. It's not a human Lord or a human teacher. It's God speaking to God. God the Father speaking to God the Son. The Son has selflessly loved the Father to the uttermost by carrying out His hostility-absorbing mission on earth. And now the Father selflessly loves and serves the Son, saying, hey, sit here at my right hand in honor while I carry on the mop-up duty for the war that you've won on the cross. And notice who else shows up here. God the Holy Spirit is the one to reveal the love between God the Father and God the Son. There's this selfless dance of love going on between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is revealing this to David. This is amazing. If you really, friends, want to love selflessly, you need to partake in the divine selfless love shared by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A divine love, not a human love. YouTube clips, DVDs, your community group aren't going to cut it. Emotional songs, inspiring stories won't do it. Jesus gives us another alternative to embrace. How does Jesus empower us to selflessly love? Look here in this passage. First, Jesus sits. Jesus has finished enough work for every person, including my neighbor most in need. He has finished work for every person. This is the image here, Jesus sitting, of a king sitting. The image of a king who has finished the battle. He's achieved all necessary peace, and so he sits to rule. Your neighbor, friends, ultimately does not need you. Jesus has done all the work necessary for your neighbor which frees you to love without expecting anything in return. Thanks. Change in their lives. You know, Jesus loved by finishing for the vulnerable neighbor what they can't do. And so our job is to, in word and deed, give our neighbor a glimpse of that unfinished, undes- sorry, that finished, undeserved work that only Jesus did for us. He lived a life we couldn't and died the death we deserve. And our job is in word to share that with people, but also indeed, here's an unconditional act of love I want to show you in my life. See, that's what we're supposed to do. It frees you to be in the lives of certain persons, but not have to be their Savior. You give them a glimpse of the Savior. Secondly, we see here Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. When you love with Jesus, you can pass on power to your neighbor from on high. God the Son is risen from the dead because He wants to carry on a private conversation with God the Father. This, this amazing conversation with God the Father as our advocate. The Bible says in Hebrews 7, as our intercessor. That's why the, Him not being with us is so good because He ascended after the resurrection. It's with God the Father and they talk to each other. Jesus hears our prayers. God, God the Father says, Boom, let's get to work. See, the scribes prayed long in public prayers for the weak and vulnerable to be seen, which was really self-love. We can offer private and personal prayer for a person in need, not to be affirmed by them, but because Jesus has ascended and he's clothed us with power, and we can pass on the work of the Holy Spirit. We can just simply pray for them. Not long prayers like the scribes, just a simple prayer that God would move in the person's life, that they would see the love of the Savior and be reminded that the Savior loves and provides for their every need. Thirdly, we see here the Father will subdue all of Jesus' enemies. You can trust that the greater condemnation Jesus speaks of 
will come to those who continually exploit the least. This is so important. It's one of the most frustrating aspects of loving our most vulnerable neighbors over the long haul is that there will be some who continue to get taken advantage of. Some who are used to secure votes in an election. The vulnerable who are used as a fundraising tool to alleviate the guilt of some and get power for others. Or simply the vulnerable who succumb once again to that predatory relationship. And you think, man, I, I keep trying to help, but it just doesn't, this, this is not changing. It's so frustrating. You cannot take upon yourself, friends, all that pain, all that injustice. You cannot right every wrong. Nobody can bear that wrong in their lives. It's one of the reasons Jesus quotes here from Psalm 110. Psalm 110, which Jesus quotes here, is one of those imprecatory, express my anger psalms, but also a messianic psalm, like I mentioned last week. It's designed for us to both pray, but also see the Savior upon whom we can put such hostility and injustice that no one else can bear but a Savior. See, so you can trust that the same Jesus who rescues the vulnerable, He will recognize the need. He will subdue permanently those who take advantage of them, those who exploit them. Jesus will put to right every wrong. He will reserve a just condemnation for those who live their lives exploiting the most vulnerable. Which means you don't have to right that wrong. You don't have to get this morning all these little points and nuances. I just want you to see this. The great command is to love God with all of who you are, mostly by loving your neighbor as yourself. To receive appropriately the warning, the picture warning that Jesus gives of what happens when we try to love on our own strength, it turns inward. And see it here in verses 35 to 37. Jesus offers us this empowering ability, love between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to love with a divine and selfless love. He offers that to you. Please stop trying to love on your own strength. Embrace the love of the Trinity that can empower you give people a taste of Jesus' finished work for them. Let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge with this scribe that you are right and wise and good to direct us with a place to start. Love, loving the Father with all of who we are, loving our neighbor as ourselves. Help each of us honestly assess our inner capacity, our character, and heed the warning of what our lives will turn into if we try to love on our own strength. And we'll eventually use others to love ourselves. That really will be for us. Our own affirmation, our own satisfaction, even our own attention and glory. Help us admit today, perhaps as the first day, admit our own poverty in spirit and seek an alternate power source. You are the Savior of those most in need. You finish the work they need to be made right with you. You proved you are all that they need. May your finished work be shown through our actions and our little deeds and our words to them. May your finished work on the cross free us to love people without feeling like we have to save them. You, Jesus, are at the right hand of God living to intercede for us so we can go to others and bring their struggles and their burdens before the throne. One day we can be confident too that the Father, you Father, will subdue all of the Son's enemies 
systemic injustice, the corruption of sins that takes advantage of the most vulnerable neighbors, puts them back through the spin cycle of pain. You will put every enemy underneath the feet of Jesus, Father. You will trample and stomp out what we cannot. Free us then to love. Free us to offer a glimpse of the finished work of Jesus to pray for others with power from on high. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.